Last week, Bonnie and I went to Wellington to attend our son's graduation uh, at uh, the Victoria University graduation. It was a grand event, and during this grand event, Eleanor Catton, the writer of The Luminaries and the youngest winner of the Booker Prize for authors, was uh, presented an honorary doctorate. She is, in fact, a graduate of Victoria University from their Creative Writing Master's program. And because she was presented an honorary doctorate, she gave the graduation speech, which I thought was excellent. And because I thought it was excellent, I am going to begin today's sermon by quoting a big chunk of it. So, get comfortable. I would like to focus my remarks on one word only. In fact, the most important word I have ever learned. To utter this word requires great courage. To use it properly requires great discipline. And to protect and uphold it is the task and responsibility of every university and government around the world. Without it, I believe, we would all be lost. The word is... If. In Shakespeare's comedy, As You Like It, the clown Touchstone says, If is the only peacemaker. Much virtue in if. Touchstone is describing a hypothetical situation in which two people disagree. Each party has a range of weapons. The retort courteous, the quip modest, the reply churlish, the reproof valiant, the countercheck quarrelsome, the lie with circumstance, and the lie direct. All of these rhetorical strategies are as caustic and as insincere as they sound, and all can be avoided, Touchstone stares, says, with an if. To begin with an if is not to quarrel about what is, but to propose what could be. And this, the free exercise of the imagination, is not a weapon at all. If is a form of conjuration. It calls a new world into being, at first an unformed world of shapes and shadows, that over time will thicken and evolve, becoming law and art and science. If is a herald of peace and virtue. It helps us to a better conversation, a better world. Every discovery or advancement in human knowledge began in the first instance with an if. What if the Earth wasn't the centre of the solar system? What if Newton's conception of gravity was only approximate? What if a poem didn't have to rhyme? What if a computer could be made small enough to fit in a single room? Questions of this kind rarely have simple answers. Instead, and much more excitingly, they give rise to more questions. If so, then what? If so, how come? If so, then what about me? If is a very important word. But I suspect it is not a word we bring to reading to Scripture very often. We usually bring our preconceived notion of what it all means, where it is going, where we're going, 
And we don't usually think we need to ask any of the questions. But as I listened to Alan or Cathy, I began to wonder, what if? What if the Gospels are all about if? What if the Gospels didn't do so much as give the right answers, but invited hearers to ask a question, to let go of assumptions, to look from another point of view? What if they were intended to shake people up and change their world, to get them to ask, what if? If is not a question that we would bring to this morning's Gospel reading. Most of us would think we don't need it. It's pretty clear, really. You need to believe in Jesus to get into heaven, and if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't get into heaven, and that's about it. No room for if here. Or is there? The passage we heard this morning is part of Jesus' last long speech. Set after Judas has been named as the one to betray him and he's gone off to do the deed. And Peter has announced that he would never betray Jesus and Jesus goes, if only that was so. This last long speech is seriously important. Far more important than we often realise. In biographies written at this time and for a long time afterwards, the last speech is the distillation of the wisdom of the person. And the last speech established them as someone worth paying attention to, or, if the writer got it wrong, someone you didn't need to pay attention to at all. This last speech is set in a conversation with a group of disciples. A group of disciples who are frightened, they're back in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is not a safe place for them. All the rulers, Roman and Jewish, want Jesus dead, and maybe some of them. They are confused. In the end, they are not really getting what Jesus is talking about. And they are troubled. Just like John's community, which was frightened. They were undergoing serious persecution. They were confused. Jesus had not returned. The world was not as they thought it would turn out. And they are troubled. Just as we can be. Frightened, confused, troubled. And in the face of this, Jesus says simply, Believe into me. Trust into me. There is plenty of room for you in my Father's home. If that weren't so, would I have told you that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? And if I'm on my way to get your room ready, I'll come back and get you so you can live where I live. And you already know the road I'm taking. Which is another way of saying, there is a place for you in the heart of God, even in death. Well, Thomas gets stuck as he often does. Thomas plays an important role in John's Gospel. He asks the questions that need to be asked, the questions that we would like to know the answers to, but we're not entirely sure we're allowed to ask them. So Thomas asks them. He's not willing to just go with the flow, and so he says, Master, 
We have no idea where you're going, so how do you expect us to know the road? Like a lot of us, Thomas can't get beyond the literal. He can't let go of his assumptions. He can't look from another place. He can't ask if. Basically, he is asking, when have you told us the way to get to the Father? When have you taught us the right doctrines, the right way to think, the right way to behave? To which Jesus answers, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. If you know me. But here's the problem. Everyone knows that God is out there. Bette Midler reminded us that God is watching us from a distance. And if God is out there watching us from a distance, well, you really can't know God. For Jews, you can't even know the name of God. You can be taught about God. You can be given some ideas and concepts about God. But you can't know God. So the disciples really wanted Jesus to teach some good ideas and concepts. That's what's needed, surely. That we are given the right ideas and concepts about God. And Philip is clearly not convinced that Jesus has done a very good job of that at all. So he says, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Or, just teach us the stuff simply, would you? Less stories, please. And he too misses the if. And sadly, so do we most of the time. But what happens if Jesus isn't talking about teaching about God? Isn't talking about getting the ideas and concepts straight? What happens if Jesus meant when he said, if you know me, you will know my Father also, not that you had to get the concepts right, but that you had to get the relationship right. What happens if we look at Jesus, if, what happens if when we look at Jesus, we see God? What happens when we hear Jesus, we hear God? What happens if we don't have to believe in the theological concept that Jesus is God incarnate? We just have to get at some level that when we see Jesus, we are given a glimpse into the heart of God. This isn't about getting the right doctrine. This is about understanding at some level that Jesus is the one who oozes the character of God, the love and compassion of God, the mercy and justice of God, the inclusiveness and passion of God, the goodness and peace of God. With every word, every action, every breath, Jesus invites us to ask if. If God is like that, then what does life in God look like? For me, for us, for this world. 
God's world. What if Jesus, the way, the truth and the life, is not a set of ideas and doctrines about God that we need to believe in to get into heaven? What if the point of all of this is not that I get into heaven at all? But we join God's ongoing re-establishing of God's peace, God's shalom, God's harmony between all, God's manakitanga, God's whanongatanga, God's aroha. What if it is the way of God we are invited to live now? And if believing that Jesus is the only way to the Father doesn't mean that God is only found in those ideas and doctrines... But wherever we see and hear of this compassion and love, this mercy and justice, this inclusiveness and passion, this goodness and peace, what if when we see these, we can trust that God is at present and at work, even when Christian claims are not being made or known? What if God is not defined and contained within our theological understanding of who Jesus is, or even who God is? What if God exceeds all our understanding? What if God does not require right belief or even right action, but simply that we seek to live into, trust into, love, compassion, mercy, justice, goodness and peace? And when we do that, we find Jesus. We find God. What if? A lot can change when we ask if. Eleanor Catton is right. What if? It might change everything.